Our world is broken, people are pretty messed up, and let's be honest, sometimes it feels like God is an abusive boyfriend who says I love you, but doesn't appear to be so loving. This podcast exists to remind you who you and your creator truly are, even amidst crisis, and offers stories of hope from people who have faced the unthinkable, yet continue to choose Jesus. Not because it's easy, but because they know that although life can feel excruciatingly complicated, there's holy simplicity found in Jesus. Hey, Lacey. Hey, Allie. It's so good to be able to finally chat with you. I am super pumped to hear your story. Yeah, yeah. I'm super grateful to be here to be able to share our story. Good. Well, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, I'm married to my best friend and husband, John, and together we have four really cute kids um three of them I get to homeschool and one is with Jesus which we'll get to uh as we unpack our story um we have a one-year-old golden doodle yeah oh that's so sweet and where do y'all live so we live in Kingsport Tennessee now Sweet. Yeah. Well, I would love for you to start unpacking and share your story with us. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a little over two years ago, our family moved to Gainesville, Florida from Lexington, Kentucky, where uh, Lexington, Kentucky, where my husband had done dental school. And we moved to Gainesville for a one year dental residency that my husband was doing at the VA hospital there. Um, when we moved, I was very much pregnant with our fourth child, our daughter, Ava. And um, the day of Ava's due date, I started having contractions. And I was really excited um, because her older siblings had been uh, all two weeks late. <laughs> so, um, and we had her crib set up. Um, her car seat was in the car, ready to go. Uh, my hospital bag was packed. We, I had actually packed snacks for the hospital staff, um, to like thank them for helping us labor. You know, I had little gift bags, um, for the siblings to open when they came to meet her that were from her that were these little Build-A-Bear accessories that I'd picked out like gifts from Ava to her siblings. I had those already, you know, basically waiting by my bedroom door because it was like getting ready to be go time, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had actually taken a picture on my phone too of all the clothes that I wanted the older kids to wear when they came to the hospital for my mom to put on them. So they were kind of like coordinating with her outfit and <laughs> I love know, it. all the things, you know, and way too many bows put in the bag because you just never know which one you're going to feel like, yes. yeah, you know, all the, all the things. And um, mm-hmm. so the... The night of her due date, I was contracting throughout the night, but nothing, you know, like, hey, let's get to the hospital now or anything. And the next day, um, woke up and wasn't feeling too great, um, but Ava seemed to still be moving around and things were good. And I decided to lay down for a little bit just to kind of rest up for the big labor. Mm -hmm. And when I woke up from that nap... 
I just felt off, like just mom's intuition, something wasn't right. And even though I was still contracting in between contractions, it just didn't feel right. So um, anyways, long story short, I went right into my doctor and we found out the worst news we've ever heard that Ava didn't have a heartbeat anymore. Mm. And um, yeah, it was really, it was just shocking. Um, up until that point, I had had a very smooth, healthy pregnancy. I'd had three healthy pregnancies before. I was not high risk. There were like basically no warning signs and we were just shocked. Like, I mean, I, you you don't think about getting to 40 weeks in a day and losing your child. And, um, we were just sitting there just in total shock, looking at her motionless on the ultrasound. And, um, Mm. we, uh, went into the hospital and, um, basically were admitted and 12 hours later she was born and super cute looked so much like her siblings and um just beautiful and it was just one of the saddest and most beautiful moments of my entire life um thinking about how normal she looked but she wasn't breathing. And I didn't get to hold her very long before they knew things were really bad with me. And basically I started bleeding to death, went into DIC, was rushed into the operating room. And after multiple failed attempts at controlling my bleeding, I ended up with an emergency hysterectomy and kidney failure. So A few days later, I woke up in the ICU and was basically had the second worst bomb dropped of my life that I would never have any more children. And I had uh, kidney failure and also serious issues with multiple other organs, um, which ended up recovering, praise God. But my kidneys um, did not get better. And I was released from the hospital just shy of a month after going in to deliver Ava. And um, I was on outpatient dialysis for just under five months. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And um, so I was getting ready to be put on the kidney transplant list because my kidneys just were not cooperating just despite Mm -hmm. the amount of praying and hoping and wishing for them to recover. They just, were very sad. (laughs) Uh um, So it was looking like I was going to need to be a transplant recipient. And um, it was actually the week of getting ready to sign all the paperwork for transplant when my kidneys miraculously doubled in function and I was able to get off dialysis. Uh, praise oh the God. Lord. Praise the Lord. Yes, um, that is a miracle. Yeah. So at that point, my kidneys were working at around 20 ish percent of normal. And um, so they were still very sad kidneys. And um, <laughs> I was still basically diagnosed with chronic kidney disease as a result of all the trauma from the labor. 
So in the middle of all this, you know, planning our daughter's funeral, me being in critical condition and then being on dialysis um, through all of this, then my husband was needing to look for a job after residency because it was only a year long residency. And um, we really wanted to stay in Florida at that point. Our church family had just become so close to us and we did not want to leave. We felt like Florida was our home now and we wanted to do all that we could to stay. And the VA hospital had actually said they had an open position that they wanted to hire my husband for. He applied for the position, turned down multiple other really good job offers in other states so that we could stay. And then with about a month left of residency, the hospital cut funding and the job was no longer available. So, um, that was heartbreaking um, to say goodbye to all of the people that had basically walked with us through the valley of the shadow of death and become our mm. friends, you know, just to have to start all over was really hard. And um, we couldn't get the way that dental licensing works. It's all kind of weird. Um, people in the dental community will understand this but um his the licensing exam that he took um florida doesn't accept um you can work at any va across the nation with any licensing exam but um each licensing exam is kind of only recognized by certain states and we hadn't really planned on staying in florida at the time that he got his licensing exam and so um his licensing exam is accepted in states that were not Florida. So we didn't have time to take another exam because you have to sign up way in advance for those kind of things. And basically we had a month to find a job and a house and all of the things. So that we ended up in Tennessee, which is kind of closer to where I grew up. Okay. So I want to ask, where did you bury your daughter? So Ava is buried in Gainesville in Florida. Okay. Oh my goodness. Okay. I have so many questions for you. That was the first one that popped in my head, but how, how did you process that with her being there? I mean, how do you process it now, I guess, with her being there? Like, is that a thing for you? I feel like it'd be a thing for me. Maybe it's not for you. Yes. It was very hard. Um, because it feel it felt like having to say goodbye to my daughter twice. Yeah. Um, it was like I had already let her go in the most horrific way once. And then just the thought of not even being able to, to just go and sit in her spot, as we call it, we call it Ava's spot. And just to like be in that place where I feel connected to her is really hard, like not to be able to go there on Mother's Day or not to be able to go there on Christmas or moments where you would just maybe like want your whole family to feel somewhat together. Um, It is hard on this mama's heart to be so far away, but um, God has gifted us with amazing friends and they will go to her spot and take flowers to her or take a little, you know, a birthday crown and put it on her spot and send me a picture of it. And, um, I can only imagine. 
So another question that I have, and I kind of want to ask this just in case we have any pregnant mamas and, you know, that this might just send them into a tailspin of fear. Were the doctors ever able to tell you what happened? The diagnosis that I received in the hospital um, was a placenta accreta. And um, basically what happens is your placenta grows abnormally into your uterus. The medical professionals are able to see the severity of it. And basically, in my case, would have, should have been what they call um, a cesarean hysterectomy. So basically, it's a planned cesarean hysterectomy where they remove your uterus with your placenta still intact so that you don't bleed out. So I am dying to ask you the question, (laughs) how did you seek the Lord in this time? I'm still rebuilding. So when we got to Kingsport, um, I honestly felt like my grief journey was just starting because after Mm -hmm. we lost Ava and everything, we were so um, focused on like, I've got to get better. We've got to get my kidneys working so that I can take care of my kids and be the wife and mom I want to be. And it was just very like, my health was a kind of distraction from grieving Ava's death the way that it deserves to be grieved. And, um, and so I've just started meeting with a counselor here and, you know, she's really encouraged me that your grief journey is kind of just starting to unpack all of it. And, um, So I think keeping in mind that it's a journey and not a destination is helpful because I think a lot of, there's a lot of temptation to kind of like move on and get on with your life and not talk about it anymore. Um, But I don't Mm -hmm. really seem to be okay. Yeah. And to, you know, slap on a happy face and pretend that none of these horrible, awful things happened because it's really hard to talk about. Um, yes. And especially moving to a new town and having to meet new people over and over again and to have to answer all the questions of, you know, mm-hmm. what brought you here? You know, how many kids do you have? And oh, because yes. of um, having chronic kidney disease, I have to be on an ultra strict specialized diet to keep whatever function I have going. And so I have to baby them mm-hmm. with a really weird diet and so getting together with new people and you know which honestly COVID we really haven't even you know not a lot of new people um yes but just all of that can take its toll on your emotions and just feeling like you just don't even want to bother and God is oh girlfriend yeah I feel that so deeply. I feel that so deeply. Yeah. It just kind of like, Oh my goodness. You know, I just, you just don't really want to answer all the questions and all the things. And so the first six months that we moved here, I was very introverted and didn't really get out much because I just didn't have the emotional energy to do it. And then basically in January when I was ready to like, 
get involved in small groups at church and decide to be like, yeah, let's get to know people and share our story and be open and ready to receive relationships, then here comes COVID and you yeah, yes. make friends. Oh my goodness. But kind of to answer your question, hmm. I think that in a really bizarre way, um, and this might sound really weird to people listening, but dialysis was kind of a blessing and a curse for me at the time because um, I'm not sure if people understand what dialysis is, but basically I had to go three times a week for four hour treatments. I was hooked up to a machine with a chest catheter that would basically remove all of my blood, clean it in the machine and then put it all back in. And um, Mm. so I had basically four hours to, to really be kind of alone with God in some ways dialysis afforded me time that I wouldn't have had if I was just like thrown back into motherhood, all of that right away. Does that make sense? I mean, Oh yes, absolutely. I am. I'm over here shaking my head. I for sure have some grieving ahead of me. I'm still kind of in fright mode right now. I mean, I'm finishing up the stem cell transplant, but I still am doing treatment every other day and in fight mode. And it it really has been a great distraction, Mm -hmm. but when the dust settles, there's definitely going to be grief there. So I just super appreciate that. And that hit me square between the eyes. (laughs) But that being said, um, my next question for you is how, how did you see the Lord show up well for one thing he he is not a fickle friend in that he's been with us through all of it and during the really ugly moments of you know just sobbing in the floor of your shower he's not like okay this is getting too awkward and I'm gonna be like gone now so many of the moments that like no one else sees you know the 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 moments of really wrestling with why did this happen to us how come all the you know how come we don't have Ava and how come we don't get any more kids and how come I have to have this chronic illness God has just been there for us in his word and in his presence, just reminding us that we're not necessarily going to get all the answers, like especially as far as Ava's death and everything thereafter. Um, We don't have to have all those answers to, to have his presence and his, truth and his goodness in our lives and that the goal isn't really to find all the answers like the goal is to find him and how his peace just comes over you I had to go in and have my catheter placed no one was able to go with me they had they were supposed to be able to kind of give me some meds that would make me a little out of it while they were doing the surgery well the memo didn't get passed to tell me not to eat or drink anything. And so I had like 
finally been able to keep down a piece of toast and some water and I hadn't thrown it up. And then that was now a bad thing because I wasn't supposed to eat or drink. And so this is awful. And because I was so swollen from all of it, it was very hard to breathe. And so like laying on my back for this thing and hardly being able to breathe because I had like 80 pounds of extra fluid from all the blood transfusions. Um, (laughs) It was scary. It was scary. And of course I was just freaking out because at that point, I don't think I was sure if they knew why I had bled out. And so I'm thinking like, what if I have some clotting thing and I just like bleeding out Mm -hmm. again and all the anxiety. It was just a really nice nurse. Hello. I love nice nurses. Um, and she just mm-hmm. held my hand through the whole yes. thing and God's presence just filled the room to where I had this peace of like, Hey, you're going to be all right. And so mm-hmm. it was just him showing up in those moments with his spirit of peace and comfort. And then mm-hmm. the people in our lives, which so many of your other guests have talked about people showing up and just yes. being amazing. Like, We had people, you know, family watching our kids, friends watching our kids. Um, We had people bringing meals to our home. And we were so new. Like, it wasn't even like half of these people really even knew us. But they loved us Mm -hmm. so intentionally. And um, other women in the church who had lost children had, like, written me letters while I was in the hospital And, um, just, you know, people that would just come and bring my husband a milkshake while he was sitting in the ICU or whatever. And, you know, those kinds of things where people were just so loving and so kind and someone started a GoFundMe for us for medical bills and people that I don't even know, like were giving us support financially for all of the unexpected expenses for funeral and medical and those kinds of things that just lifted a huge burden and people helping with the job search and watching our kids for those things and praying with us and praying for us and giving us gifts that helped us remember Ava, you know, like jewelry or things to hang on our wall or um, just sending messages where um, the month that we buried her is actually October because we didn't bury her until I got out of the hospital so that I could actually attend my daughter's funeral. Um, And it was, um, so it was like a month after we lost her and um, just people that, we're remembering her in the month of October, which is um, pregnancy and infant loss awareness month. So people would send photos of like mm. lighting a candle in her honor and, you know, having flowers turned into jewelry for her. And just, I could go on and on and on. Oh my goodness. Like you need to, <laughs> you need to write a blog about all of those things. Yeah. <laughs> For people who feel like they don't know what to do, because I think that people get in their own heads and they feel like, well, I don't really know what to do or say. And so it is so 
I am so grateful that you are sharing all of these things. So one question that I get a lot, it may be maybe my most frequently asked question other than what were my symptoms when I was first diagnosed is how did this whole medical crisis that we went through affect my marriage? And so I'm sure my listeners are chomping at the bit to hear how this affected your marriage. So if you're comfortable sharing, I would love to hear how you and your husband navigated this and what that looked like. That's a great question. And so important. And, um, I think for us, it, it has actually made our marriage better. And I know that's not, that's not always the Mm. case for loss of a child. Um, so I am super grateful for that blessing. Um, and I think that for us, um, one of the things that has been really encouraging for us is just seeing how we have walked through the fire and kind of come out the other side still intact and kind of like looking at the other mm-hmm. person and kind of having this unspoken understanding that we can get through anything. <laughs> And that basically my husband has always been a good spiritual leader as far as making sure that staying in God's word and praying together is a priority. And so anytime that I would get derailed in my thinking about things, he would just point us back to God's truth. And, um, I think more so than anything, just reminding me of God's sovereignty when I was trying to find someone or something to blame for all that happened, because, you know, I wanted to figure out, you know, who's to blame for this because it was just this total freight train out of nowhere for us. Like, nothing you know and whether it's okay let's I could blame myself I could think of a million reasons to blame myself you know I was too stressed I was too this or that or whatever and just Mm. imagining all these reasons why when everyone on my medical team is like this is was not your fault there's nothing that you could have done to save her Mm. and you know and just basically accepting God's sovereignty and remembering those things has helped our marriage to not go down those paths that Satan wants you to go on to like derail your relationship where, you know, my husband doesn't blame me for any of it. I don't blame him for any of it. It's just like, this was part of our story. And, um, and I think just as far as, growing our marriage there's just something about being almost dead and watching your spouse's commitment to you that can kind of help with some of those petty little arguments and things that I used to nitpick about or just like question does he really love me or is he like being selfish or you know and so whenever I have those questions of like does he really love me? Is he really committed to me? It's kind of like obvious 
Um, yes. Mm. Yes, girl. You are you're like in my head. You know, <laughs> everything you're saying, I feel like you're telling yeah. a story. It is Ooh. so cool. I love it. All this insanity is over. We should have our husbands meet and they can talk about what it's like to love a wife that doesn't look like anything of the girl that they married and whatever. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, Even though. Oh my goodness, yes. It's so funny too. Like, I know I keep saying you're in my head, but yesterday, Ben and I for hopefully for the last time we had well we we facetimed tonight but yesterday was the last time we were i wasn't in the house and we were facetiming and um he was like you know i was thinking he was sitting in the living room he's like i think we should get some updated pictures because neither of us really look like the pictures on our mantle here in the living room and i'm like you know what you're right and but it was just such a sweet reminder and just the way that he said it was so tender and it just reminded me that you know what it was only six years ago when we got married but we are completely different people and our marriage halfway through this crisis was not pretty and we talk about that in an earlier podcast but today it is so strong and like you said like I when I am I rarely question anymore because you know when those thoughts pop up I just have to look back and see the evidence of how he loves me. And I I love that that's how our relationship with the Lord is too. When we start to question, we can see his fingerprints all over our story. It's just kind of like something that you wouldn't really like wish on other couples necessarily. But, you know, when you think back and you're like, this man has literally like caught my vomit with his hands and walked down a hospital hallway with me on oxygen with a walker and saying like, good job, you're doing it. Like, you know, if you put, you know, some dirty dishes in the sink, like I'm still pretty convinced he loves me. And this is not kind of like, I don't care about you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Oh my goodness. I feel like we could have a whole other podcast yeah. episode about this about, like you know health um couples who have been through health crises and and just how it's changed us but yeah I completely resonate with what you're saying about you don't wish it on other people right. that would be a <laughs> weird thing but at the same time when people say things like I don't know how you're doing this or I don't know you know how you did that it's you look back yeah. and those are the things that you remember like, uh, yeah, I mean, we did it by God's grace, but I can't yeah. imagine my life without it. And I can, I don't, I don't expect you to be at this point, um, but, and but maybe you are, but, you know, at this point, two years later in our journey, I can truly say, and it's painful to say, it's not easy to say, but I can truly say that I am grateful for what the Lord has brought us through and I wouldn't change it. I mean, that sounds kind of obvious, but he has a perfect plan for our lives. These events that happened in our lives were planned out long ago. And it's kind of like he he knew this was going to happen and he's just letting us in on a secret that is our life. Like, okay, now here's the next step. Here's what I have planned for you. Here's, you know, I'm going to reveal to you. And, and it's, it's really painful to say that, but I can say finally two years later that I'm really grateful. So I love that you're hinting at that. And I love that 
you have seen his hands so clearly. What would you say to um, a mom or just anybody in general, a couple, a man, a woman who is going through a similar tragedy? Maybe not the same circumstances, but they just feel like they've been hit by a train and then a bus. I would tell them to prioritize their alone time with the Lord. Um, not allow the distractions of life to steal that time that is so important. Um, and I was gifted that time with my hours on dialysis. Um, but basically, like, nothing apart from the Lord is going to be the stability that you're looking for when your whole life has basically imploded. Um, And Mm. one of the scriptures that stands out to me is Psalm 62, the first two verses, it says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence from him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. And, um, I think in times of crisis, it's really easy for our faith to be shaken and to just kind of be like, okay, do it's God really who I thought he was? And does he actually love our family? And um, when you spend time in scripture, especially so many of the Psalms, it's just like God continuously reminding you that he is your refuge when everything around you is crumbling, whether it's the death of a loved one or unexpected news or a betrayal or loss of job or loss of relationships or whatever it is that you're just like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. It didn't come as a shock to God. Mm -hmm. And, um, He is steady and stable when nothing else is predictable. And then the last thing I would say is to Mm -hmm. find things to praise God for. Um, Our sweet pastor's wife came to visit me when I was in the hospital. I had just got out of the ICU and um, she battles Parkinson's disease and gave me just the best piece of advice that has just stuck with me and it's just three little words and she just told me praise is powerful and I've just clung to that when I am just tempted to despair to find things to praise God for because it is powerful and it will lift you out of the darkest pit when you can see the evidences of God's goodness and you can praise him for all the things that he is doing, has done, and continues to do in the midst of all the ugly things that want to bring you down. Yes, though that last phrase, that is so good. I love that she's coined it as a phrase because it's so true. And I think that, I just want to note that I think at first it feels kind of superficial or I know for me, it was 
kind of enraging actually <laughs> to to think about things that you have to be th- thankful yeah. for when you're in crisis. Like it feels a little forced, mm-hmm. but <laughs> even though it feels like that, once I started forcing myself to find things to be thankful for I was amazed at the small ways I I think I was looking for the big ways but I found so many small ways that I couldn't help but praise him so it does feel unnatural at first but once you get the hang of it and once you realize these Mm -hmm. things are actually from the Lord therefore he is actually good it it, you're exactly right it does your heart so much and when I say that there's just like a little tiny caveat that I have to put in here because there are well-meaning people who kind of want to try to find the silver lining in everything to the point where they say really hurtful things Mm. um and like trying to find good reasons why our daughter died and um, things that are just Mm. very trivial, hurtful things. And um, so when I'm talking about praising God, it's not necessarily like some kind of thing like, oh, I'm super happy that we planned our daughter's funeral instead of bringing her home from the hospital or like that it's not Mm. sort of fake joy that's not owning the pain you know of your circumstances but saying you know even though all of these terrible things happened I'm still going to praise God for the good that I do see so it's not like we're Mm -hmm. saying cancer is awesome or your stillbirth is awesome or kidney failure is awesome but we're saying that in the midst of it God is still awesome and he has lots and lots of reasons Mm -hmm. to be worshiped and praised for who he is in the midst of all that. Yes, absolutely. No, that is so good. Oh, well, Lacey, thank you for coming on and sharing your story and just so much wisdom. I have enjoyed this chat so much. We are kindred spirits and I feel like I was listening to myself share what the Lord has taught me. So thank you for, for sharing. Hey gang, so some of you know that I had to spend a lot of time in the hospital during my stem cell transplant. So while I was in there, I had lots of time to think because of COVID, there are no visitors allowed right now. And I was able to jot down some things that the Lord had put in my heart to do for the podcast. And one of those things was to be able to create a tighter knit community and to be able to use this podcast to encourage others even more. And one of the ways that I want to do that is by offering you the opportunity to be able to buy one of our guests their favorite drink. And so I'm super excited about this. And here's how it'll work. If you go to our website, alliechristian.com slash podcast, you will be able to fill out a quick form, tell us who you would like to buy a drink for, write a message to them, and then we will facilitate them getting their favorite drink delivered right to their door along with the message. So if you have a favorite podcast guest that you have listened to on the Weather Channel, you will be able to buy them a drink. Go ahead and go to alliechristian.com slash podcast. I know it is going to bless and encourage our guests so much.
Hey, thank you for joining us today. I hope you're not falling for a lie that you could never be holy enough to respond to your situation as our guest today did. I know that's sometimes where my head goes when I hear stories of holy struggle, so can I remind you that you have everything you need to respond the same way? Jesus offers hope in our pain, and it usually only requires a perspective shift to notice it. So whether it's time in his word, going for a walk through creation, or a heart-to-heart with a friend, this is your weekly reminder to take time to snatch that much-needed perspective shift.